keep your place in Jonah chapter 4. We've all had this happen at one time. We've either thought that we saw something or we thought that we heard something and we had the wrong perception. So a really neat story about that. Phil Newberry, former youth pastor at Bellevue Baptist Church, told a story about a youth group years ago. Back in the days when youth would take choir tours, this particular youth group had two vans that they took on their choir tour as they made their way across the states. And the youth pastor was ahead of the vans. He wanted to go and make sure he could get to the next location quickly and get everything set up for the young people that would be coming and performing that night. Well, back then, there were no cell phones. There were only CB radios. And so the youth pastor hears on the radio from a trucker, a church van has flipped in the median of the interstate about two miles back. Well, this youth pastor immediately knew they're talking about my church van. They're talking about my students and my leaders. So he got off the interstate. He turned around. He started heading back as fast as he possibly could. And he said, as I approached the scene, I saw our church van. It was indeed ours. I saw it rolled over in the median. And I saw the worst sight you could imagine. My heart sunk. There were bodies strewn all over the grass of the median and the interstate. I just began to pray, dear God, please, please help us in this horrible moment. And he says that the youth pastor stopped the car and began running. You can imagine furiously towards this van with those bodies spread out all over the grass. And the closer he got to the scene, the clearer it became. And he realized, wait a minute, those aren't people strewn all over. They're puppets. Oh, thank God for the puppet ministry. I mean, you're never more thankful to see Dum Dum than in that moment. There he is. Hallelujah. It's not our kids. It's our puppets. By the grace of God, the van carrying all the puppets rolled over and puppets were everywhere. Well, that's a great story about just perception, isn't it? You, you think you see something, you think you know something, and the closer you get, the clearer it becomes. And I want to tell you that the closer you get to God, the clearer he will become as he reveals himself to you and I in Scripture. You see, I believe that the farther away we are from the Lord in our walk, in our maturity, the, the less we really understand the God of Scripture. We have all these ideas that we have made up in our head. We have all these fantasies, to be quite frank with you, about God that we have in our head. And what God does is he wants to make himself clear. He wants to make himself known. And so from the beginning of time, he's been revealing himself through the written word. And if you are going to walk with God any amount of time, then your view of God is going to be challenged. And if you're going to walk with God and live life, you're going to come in conflict with the God of Scripture versus the God of your mind. And you're going to have to reconcile both of them. Here's the good news. God pursues us. And he wants to be clear in our view. 
In fact, as we open Jonah chapter 4, the neat thing about chapter 4 is the entire chapter is about God patiently, graciously pursuing Jonah. Now, in chapter 3, he patiently and graciously pursued the pagan Ninevites. He was merciful to them. He gave them time. He gave them word. He gave them repentance. And now in chapter 4, the whole chapter is God is going to be as merciful and as patient and gracious with his prophet Jonah, who has a wrong view of God. And if Jonah had a wrong view of God, you and I can have a wrong view of God. So we're going to open the text and we're going to look at how we know our view of God is being challenged. The Lord will challenge what you think about him. The closer you get, the more reality will become apparent. And he's going to challenge you through trials. He's going to challenge you through events in your life. He's going to challenge you through other people. And sometimes when you encounter the Lord, you may realize the God that I thought is not the God that's revealed in Scripture, but he's patient. And just like he wants to work on Jonah, he wants to work on you and I, and he wants to lead us to that place where we see more clearly. So how do you know your view of God is being challenged being challenged by events, being challenged by the Lord, being challenged by circumstances. How do you know? Well, number one, your perception collides with God's description of himself. Now, I didn't put that in the outline. I condensed it. But the idea there is you know that God is dealing with you and making himself more clear when your perception of God collides with God's biblical revealed description of himself. Now let me show you where this collision is happening in Jonah 4 verse 1. It's very clear. When you open the text, you see it right there, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, just to give you context, what displeased Jonah? The mercy of God. What made Jonah angry? The grace of God. You would think that a prophet of God from Israel itself would have a better understanding and a better view of Almighty Yahweh, but he does not. Think about this. Jonah's angry. Why? Why? I mean, we could understand if... Jonah had had a miserable ministry, but he didn't. I mean, remember in 1 Kings when Elijah was depressed and he said, God, would you just take my life? And, and Elijah was upset because of persecution. I mean, he had the, the king of Israel against him. He had Jezebel, his wife. He had all these prophets of Baal. And so we can understand to some degree Elijah's depression and anger and Lord take my life but Jonah didn't have persecution Jonah had a problem of perception I mean do you realize that when you read the Old Testament and even the ministry of Christ himself on earth Jonah is one of the most successful prophets of all time I mean Jeremiah and Isaiah would have loved I'm sure to have seen 
such a ministry that Jonah saw in Nineveh when the whole city of 120,000 people repented. Jesus himself, speaking to Jerusalem, said, I, I would have taken you under my wings like a mother hen takes her chicks, but you would not let me. Even Christ in his preaching ministry on earth didn't have a moment, a moment that successful. So it boggles the mind to read that it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. And you say, why are you angry? It's not because of persecution. It's because of his perception of God. His perception does not meet the biblical description of God. Now, let me just parse these words out with you briefly to prove that even more. The word displeased, right there in verse 1, literally means he was hurt, he was broken, he was sad. Jonah, as a prophet, is broken and sad over what God has done. Isn't this amazing? Notice what else. You see the word exceedingly. Now, most of your Bible versions, especially if you're looking at the ESV, which is what I'm preaching out of, you'll see a little number up by the word exceedingly. And if you look down at the bottom of your text, it will tell you that in the Hebrew, the word means exceedingly evil. So if you went back to the original language and you said, what does that word exceedingly literally mean? It means Jonah was broken and sad. He viewed what God had done as exceedingly evil. Jonah is judging God. Now, notice what else. It says there that he was angry, angry at God. You ever been angry at God? God can handle it. A good example that God can handle your anger and your fickleness is right here. God is merciful and gracious and patient with Jonah. He doesn't strike him dead with lightning. He doesn't immediately kill him after verse 1. He patiently asks him questions. Is it right for you to be angry? Let's talk about this, Jonah. You see the mercy and the love of God all over this prophet who is angry, thinks that what God has done is evil. And, and why would Jonah think this is exceedingly evil? Because he's a Jewish man who thinks, God, how can you bless people who have spurned your word, spurned your covenant, and not obeyed you? You haven't even done this in Israel, but you're doing it here in Nineveh, in Iraq. Why are you not doing it with your people? And so you can sense his frustration and his anger, but what's happening What's happening? His perception of God, his theology of God, his understanding of God is colliding with the God of Scripture. And it's all being challenged. Jonah has been in a bunker theologically, and now he is having to deal with it. He's having to deal with it. And we are going to have to do the very same thing. We have to ask ourselves, what informs my view of God? Is it self? Do I invent God in my own image? Do I create a, a superstitious, superficial God that my mind has made up? Or am I getting my knowledge of God from Scripture? So is it self that creates God or is it Scripture? 
And it's very important that our perception of God is based upon the revealed description of God in His Word. Years ago, my wife, she got on Verbo when it was a brand new thing. I'd never heard of this. She said, I've booked us a cottage at Orange Beach, and we're going to go, and we're right on the beach, and it's going to be great for the week. But, she said, because she knows me, she knows that I tend to build things up in my head. I'm kind of like the character of Chevy Chase in the 1989 movie Funny Farm, where he had built all these things up in his head about the country life and country living, and then when he got there, it was horrible. And so in order to get out, they gave books of Norman Rockwell's paintings to the town people and said, we will pay you money if you will look like this so we can fool the next buyers and we can get out of here. We don't like you and you don't like us. It's a brilliant movie, although, you know, I saw it when I was young, so I can't attest for words and things like that. It used to come on television over and over again. Well, well, I'm like that guy, okay? I'm like that character in Funny Farm. I build things up, Norman Rockwellian, in my head, and I think, now, this is the way Christmas is going to look, and this is the way Thanksgiving's going to look. No amens over here, all right? And I build it up in my head, and, and my wife knew me well enough to say, now, you need to go online and look at the pictures. I remember her telling me that twice with two different verbos. She said, but the pictures are there. So if you, if you want to go look at it, you can. Oh, no, honey, I trust you. Oh, no, no, I don't need, I'm sure it'll be great. Well, I mean, we pulled up to this place. I still remember it. Cursed be its name. Kaylin's Cottage. Kaylin, your cottage is a dump. It's a mobile home in the air is what it was. Hadn't been redecorated since 1981. And it showed. And, and we pull up, and, and my wife says, you wear everything on your face. And I do. I can't hide it. That's why I'm not a poker player. I'm also a Baptist preacher, and that's why I'm not a poker player. But I could never do it because it's all on my face. And she said, we pulled up, and it, it was just obvious you weren't happy. Now, why was I not happy? Because in my mind, I had built this place up to be something that it was not. And the description was clearly out there if I had wanted to take the time to go look at the pictures and evaluate it and see it. But I didn't. I didn't. I let imagination take over. And when we got there, disappointment set in. Now, can I say that it's that way with many of you and God? I mean, you don't bother to read the descriptions that's contained in the Word. And so you have this, this idea in your head of who He is, and then life happens. And, and things come, and you say, well, well I just don't understand. I thought, I thought if I did everything right, that it would all turn out perfectly. I, I thought that if, if God was on my side, that He would bless what I'm doing, and I wouldn't have this persecution or this trial or this frustration. And I'm here to tell you that's just not the description that he gives of himself in Scripture. He tells us that we're going to have trials and we're to consider it joy. He tells us that we're going to face persecution, and he says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for my name's sake. He tells us that everything happens, and like Job, we have to get to this point where we say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I'm here to tell you, I think many people deconstruct their faith today because they've been sold a 
a, an idea of God, a perception of God that is nothing based upon the description that he has clearly posted in his word. So can I encourage you, go to the description Go to the description in Scripture and say, God, I want to learn about you. I want to know you. The question that we ask ourselves, what is our view of God? You see, it will collide at some point in our life and in our faith with our perception and his description. Well, number two, how do you know your view of God is being challenged? Well, you know that the Lord is trying to bring things into better clarity when the second thing is also happening in our life. Your wants will conflict with His will. Your wants are going to conflict with God's will. And we're all going to have this happen at some point in our faith journey. We, we all do. Have I had that happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. And what you begin to realize is that you're more me-centered than you are God-centered. And it's very easy to get that way. And Jonah is right here. He is only thinking about himself. You say, well, prove that, Pastor. Look in chapter 4, look at verse 2, and I want you to count how many times you can circle the uh, personal, is it pronoun, I. Circle it four times. That's what you're going to see right there in verse 2. I, 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 I. What is he saying? I. I said when I was yet in my country. This is why I made, place, uh, uh, made uh, haste to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and merciful God. I, 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 I don't like you. See, I don't even like what you're doing. Because it's not about you, it's about me. It's about me and what's happening. His will is colliding and conflicting with God's will. His wants are colliding and conflicting with God's will. And you read it right there in verse 2. Lord, this is why I ran. Not because I was afraid of Nineveh or I was afraid of the job. I didn't want you to be this way. You see, God, the... The reality of who you are and the reality of what I think you are has collided. The truth always comes out. Circumstances, life, trials bring the truth of who God is center stage in front of us. And we have to deal with it. We have to say, do I believe it? Do I trust him? Do I love him? Or am I going to walk away from that and redefine him? And a lot of people do that. They redefine the Lord. Notice two ways that, that Jonah's wants were colliding with God's will. Just, just briefly stated right here in the text. The first thing was Jonah's focus. And as I've already said, he was very me-focused. You not only read the, um, the letter and the pronoun I, but you will read further down me, myself, me, over and over again. And so when God asks you a question and you respond with I, 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 me, 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 it shows you where your focus is. And where is his focus? It's on a man-centered view of God. Now, I'm here to tell you that there's a lot of churches in America today, and I'm not being critical, I'm being honest. Many of them have a low view of God and a high view of man. 
Let me say that again. They have a low view of God. They have a high view of man. They are man-centered. So I've gone to other churches before. I've listened to sermons. And sometimes I'm amazed how Christ is never mentioned. Sin is never mentioned. I'll, I'll hear a sermon on friendship, and it's okay. But the truth is, is that the, the subject is on friendship, and it's from the book of Samuel where Jonathan and David are friends, and, and that's okay. But it never mentions Christ. The sermon never points you to your need for repentance. I had a great preaching professor at Mid-America. His name was Alan Odium. He was from South Africa, and he spoke with a British accent. And he used to tell us in preaching class, if your Old Testament sermon could be preached and a Jew or a Muslim could sit in your congregation and amen what you said, then you have failed. You see, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who have not believed. And the cross is a stumbling block to those who are not in Christ Jesus. So I've heard sermons on friendship where it's like, get a friend, be like Jonathan, be like David, but Jesus is never mentioned. And anybody could sit out there, an atheist could sit out there and say, that's great, man, that's good life coaching on what it means to be a friend, but there's no God there. You gotta have a high view of God and a low view of man. You gotta be God-centered, not man-centered. Another great professor of mine, Brian Chappell, told me this. He said, when you preach your sermon, the hero is always God. People are going to come into your congregation with sola bootstrapsa. They are going to think they can pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, but they cannot. The hero is not David. The hero is not Jonathan. The hero is not Moses. The hero is not Jonah. The hero is Christ. And so look, where's your focus? When you come to God, are you coming in here saying, look, I want to know about me and about I? Now, is it relevant to you? Well, of course it is. But we have to have a high view of God and a low view of man in all that we do to glorify God. And that's where our will will conflict with what God's will is. Our wants will conflict with his will. We're man-centered. But notice what else? Really quick, attitude. Focus and attitude. How do we know that our wants are conflicting with God's will? Well, where our focus is, is it on us or him? And then secondly, our attitude. What is our attitude toward the revealed God? Now, again, you would think that Jonah would have this view of God that was correct. If Jonah being an Israelite who has the covenants and the law, gets God wrong, then you better believe we can get him wrong as well. If Jonah, who's called by God, can get him wrong, then we should know that this definitely could happen to us as well. I, I want to just contrast two men in this story. The king of Nineveh, who has repented and who has listened to what God has said, and Jonah, who is a prophet. So I want to contrast a pagan, repenting king and a prophet of God that has the wrong view of the Lord. Do you see what's happening in the book of Jonah? If you just peruse Jonah, we won't, but let me just summarize it for you. One of those men is repenting at the preaching of the word, and the other one is ranting. 
One is repenting and one is ranting. Jonah is ranting. One of those men is now in sackcloth and ashes, and one of them is contemplating suicide. He's sitting outside of the city saying, kill me, I would rather die. And it's not the pagan king, it's the prophet Jonah. One of them is praying. The pagan king is saying, who knows, maybe God will relent. Let's ask him. But what is Jonah doing? He's not praying, he's protesting. I knew you would do this. I knew that you would act this way. And one of them wants the city to turn, and the other really wants the city to burn. Jonah goes and sits out facing the east, looking at the city from a distance. We'll talk about that next week, but he's looking because he's waiting, hoping that God will send down sulfur and hellfire like he did in Sodom. But it's not coming. It's not coming. Do you see the contrast? What should Jonah have done? You would think that Jonah would understand the will of God. What is the will of God? What is the will of God? Well, just go to 1 Corinthians 13. If God is love, love is what? Love is patient. Love is kind. What else is love? I want to give this description from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 5 through 8. It does not insist on its own way. Was Jonah insisting on his own way? Yes. Yes. And so here is a man who clearly has wants that are in conflict with the will of God. How about you? How about you? What do you want God to do that he's not going to do? Who do you want God to get that he's not going to get? Is your view of God right or is it wrong? See, we really need to evaluate that. That's a very good question. What do you want from God? Do you want your will or do you want his will? Your will or his will? Let's go to the number three thing. How do we know that our view of God is being challenged? And right here in Jonah 4, 1 and 2, again, we see a prophet challenging the God of Scripture. And he just lets it all out. The truth comes out. It always comes out how we really view God and what we really think of him and what we have actually been taught. What have you been taught? Well, I hope you've been taught the truth, the high view of God. I hope you've been taught the truth, the right description of God. I hope you've been taught his will. But the third thing is your heart conflicts with his holiness. Your heart conflicts with his holiness. You see, all of these are are examples of how we know as we get closer to the person of God, the clarity begins to become very visible and things become very real. And we have a choice in that moment. What am I going to do with the God who is revealed in Scripture? Am I going to run? Am I going to recreate him? Or am I going to come to him and submit to him? Well, I want you to notice the holiness of God that Jonah knows about. He quotes 
This is so mind-boggling. I, I love this book. This has got to be one of my newest favorite books of Scripture because, I don't know, it's just so deep and complex and amazing and like Twilight Zone, you know? You read these things and there's always a twist at the end. And here's the twist. I mean, this prophet of God is about to quote the Word of God back to Almighty God and get it all wrong. Get it all wrong. Now, what's he going to quote? He's going to quote Exodus 34, verse 6. And you see that in the second half of verse 2. Now, today we've been in Jonah 4, 1 and 2. And I've been taking you back to the text to show you what the Word of God says. And so in verse 2, the second half, you read this. For I knew that you are a gracious God, and you are merciful, and you are slow to anger, and you're abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Now again, that is a direct quote from Exodus 34, 6. Right after Moses had come down from Mount Sinai, with the law of God, the Israelites were doing what? They were worshiping the golden calf. And so there's all this dealing with their idolatry and God's judgment, and Moses pleads with God, please don't take your presence from us. And so God says to Moses, all right, I want you to come back up on Mount Sinai. Tomorrow, I want you to get ready. And so in Exodus 34, Moses makes his way back up to the mountain, and God inscribes a second time the law upon tablets of stone. And right as God is doing this, he reminds Moses what you just read right here. This is who I am. This is my name. In fact, that's what it says in Exodus 34, the name of God. He is exactly what you read here. He is compassionate and merciful and slow to anger and love, abounding in love. Now, that's God's revealed name of himself to his people. And Jonah is one of his people. And Jonah knows the verse in memory, in heart, quotes it back to God in the wrong way, in the wrong context. I knew that you're this way. Now notice verse 3, therefore take my life from me. He's not happy that God is this way. Everything's colliding in his life. The truth is coming out. Now let me just briefly go through all of these descriptions that Moses gives us in Exodus 34, and Jonah reminds us of right here. I mean, first of all, compassionate. That means that our God is touched by human need. To be compassionate means that he sees our plight and he's touched by what we need the most, and he's willing to meet that need. Look at the next word, merciful. That word merciful, literally in the Hebrew, has the idea of a baby in the womb of its mother. In other words, it literally conveys motherly love and protection. When, when you pray, God be merciful to me, you're praying just like a mother would love and protect and support that, that baby in her womb, God made your love and your grace and your protection extend to me. God is that kind of God. He has a fatherly love, but in the sense of a mother with her baby. That kind of love for us. Notice what else? Slow to anger. Aren't you glad he's patient? So patient with us because we're not patient. 
Do it now, God. Fix it now, God. He's patient. Do you see his patience with Jonah in chapter 4? Do you see his patience with Nineveh in chapter 3? Do you see his patience with the waywardness of Jonah in chapters 1 and 2? He is so patient. And then the final thing is he's a God of love, steadfast love. And that word in the Hebrew, not to bore you, but it's called hesed. Hesed love. Steadfast is how it's communicated in English, but it literally means a committed marital love. You look at your grandparents who were married 365 years, you know, that, that couple, and you think, man, they were married through thick and thin and depression and electricity and everything else. I mean, you name it. And they stayed together. And you'll ask them sometimes, how did you do it? And they'll say, well, there were great times and there were hard times and it was sometimes wonderful and it sometimes wasn't easy, but we stayed together. We were committed. Now, you want to know God's love for you. You take that Hesed commitment. That's his love for his children. That's his love for the lost. That's his love for people in Nineveh who don't know his name. This is the God that's revealed in Scripture, and this is who Jonah should have known. And even quotes and gets it completely 100% wrong. Well, who is God to you? Do you have the right view of God? Or do you think he's going to get everybody that's not a Republican? He's going to fry them. Or he's going to get everybody who's not an American. And you know what they're saying down there. He's going to get everybody that's not a Texan. You know they're saying that about you. And so the question is, what is your view of God? Is it right? I've heard a lot of wrong. My goodness, wrong. Don't get it from a song now. They're wrong half the time. Don't, don't get it from pop culture. Most of the time they end up walking away from the faith after they've made all their money off of you. Get it from the Scripture. Get it from the Scripture. And what is the most clear, the most illustrative, the best example of the compassionate, merciful, slow to anger, hesed love of God? What is the most clear illustration in all the Bible? You guessed it, Jesus Christ. He is the most clear example of God's commitment to compassion and mercy and covenant committed love. The fact that God took on human flesh and lived among us and humbled himself in the form of a babe and did not think equality with God was a thing that we could grasp, so he took on the form of a servant. That is committed, hesed love. Love that goes to the cross for rebels, rebels who curse his name. The God of the universe who knows everything I've ever done in my past, Lord help me. Everything I'm doing right now, Lord help me. Everything I've ever said, thought, done, or will do. And he still goes to the cross and dies joyfully. No man takes his life from him. He lays it down willingly for you and I. Is that not love? I mean, that is Hesed love, is Jesus Christ. And if you do not have a relationship with Christ, let me tell you that is the fullest expression of God's love to you. If you question, does God love me, look to Jesus. 
If you question, does God love me? Can he love me? He has and he did and he will to all who will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So call. And he will extend his grace and his mercy and his compassion and his love to you. So who is God? Who is God to us? You see, as we get closer and closer to what we think is God, everything comes into view and becomes more clear. So is your perception his description? Is your wants his will? And is your heart focused on his holiness? This is most vital to keep us in the darkest moments of our days and to help us make it all the way home. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your precious word and in two verses you have revealed yourself so beautifully and so clearly. And Lord, we have heard from you as we've read your scripture. We've heard your word And we pray that we will respond to that. We pray that we will hear it and receive it, and it will change us, that we will be different people. Lord, we pray for those who are lost in their sin, who feel like God doesn't love them, that they would come to Christ and they would be saved today. And we pray your children would walk out of here proclaiming that good, hesed, steadfast love of the Lord to all those they'll come in contact with this week. In Christ's name, let me just ask you where you are. Say, Lord, what's my view of you? Has it been correct? And would you just ask God to help you see him more clearly from the pages of Scripture? Say, Lord, I don't want to look for you anywhere else but what Scripture says. I want to be at a church that preaches about you in Scripture. I want to let the Holy Spirit deal with me in Scripture. Lord, I just, I just want to know you. And I want my life to conform to who you are because you are God and Lord.